We're going to be reading in Philippians chapter 1 this evening, and we're going to begin by reading a passage near the end of the first chapter of Philippians, but we'll look at some other passages as well and emphasize a particular aspect of this matter of standing. And um, none of us are capable, none of us are able to stand where we ought to stand for as long as we ought to stand, the way we ought to stand, for what we ought to stand, except for the Lord's help. But we do want to stand, you know. Um, I, I love that phrase in the special song this morning uh, that Mrs. Morocco sang, taken from the book of Revelation, uh, faithful unto death. That's what we want to be, faithful to the end of the journey, amen? So, standing where God would have us to stand, for what he'd have us to stand, in the way he would have us to stand. Tonight we'll talk about one simple aspect of that. Let's stand together, please. Philippians chapter 1, and I'll begin reading in verse 25. <clears throat> Philippians 1, 25, and we read these words. In having this confidence... I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. I'll mention this again, but Paul wanted to go back to this church. Humanly speaking, he's writing from a jail in Rome. He'd probably want to go anywhere. <laughs> but he would certainly like to go to Philippi. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent. I want to come, but whether I'm there or whether I'm not, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. Their adversaries are terrorists, our adversaries are terrorists. They would terrify us. But he says, to you, or to them, it's an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that salvation, of course, is of God. Now, I want, to, I want to emphasize an aspect of standing we find in verse 27. And uh, let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you tonight for the Word of God and, and the fact that we can read it and study it and learn from it. Be encouraged by it. Apply it to our life. As the writer of Hebrews said, that we can mix faith with the Word of God. Tonight we want to do that. And we pray that you would help us as we just worship together around the Word of God. To learn, to be enlightened, to be directed, instructed, to be encouraged. And we want you to have your way. We pray, Lord, tonight for those in this room that are here unsure of their eternal destiny. We pray that the Spirit of God would work in hearts tonight. To that end, 
We trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As I said, Paul's writing from a prison in Rome. He's writing this church at Philippi. I love these epistles we find in our New Testament. Letters written to churches. They weren't just written for the benefit of those local congregations. They were written for our benefit as well. His words are practical, but they're also emotional. There's passion in what Paul writes. They're edifying and they're instructional. He loved these people. And that's one of the things I want to emphasize tonight. Paul loved these people. He wanted to see them grow. He wanted to see God's best for them. Sometimes people uh, look at the preaching of the Word of God and think that preachers are just trying to get me to do something for their sake. But that should not be our motive. We want people to grow in grace. We want people to become more Christ-like. We want people to get further down the journey of of maturity. And so we're going to look at this passage tonight. And first of all, we're going to look at this whole concept of standing together kind of at a 30,000-foot view, like a cruising altitude. We're going to look down and get to try to get the big picture of the relationship that Paul had with these churches And then zoom in a little closer to get more personal uh, admonition and application. So the first thing that just leaps out to me as I read these epistles has to do with the connection that Paul had with these churches. It's a close relationship. It's obvious. If you look in chapter 1 again in in Philippians, notice in the first part of the chapter in verse 7, he writes these words, Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of my grace. He said, I have you in my heart. That's not just, that's not just having a position, it's having a relationship. In verse 8 he says, for my God is my record... How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. I long after you with the compassion that comes from Jesus Christ. If you look in um, chapter 4 of that same book in verse 1, Paul again says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. He, was, he cared for these people. I mean, he genuinely cared for these people. Um, he, was, he sent people to see them, to check on their well-being. He's going to send Timothy, if you look in chapter 2 and verse 19. He says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. I'll, it'll be better for me to know how you're doing. In the same chapter, chapter 2, in verse uh, 25, he thought it wise to send Epaphroditus to see them. He says in verse 25 of chapter 2, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Verse 28, he says, I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. He cares about these people. He's sending them 
these messengers, but he's also, he's also wanting to go and visit them again. I read that a moment ago in verse 26 of chapter 1, where he talked about my coming to you again. And if you look in chapter 2 in verse 24, he says, But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Now, this tells you a lot about his genuine concern. For him, it wasn't to travel to Philippi, which is in Macedonia. Uh, to, for him to travel, it wasn't like just getting a bus ticket or a train ticket. It was an arduous journey. It was a long journey. And, but Paul was willing to make that journey because he cared for these people. It's about a relationship. It's about really caring for people. It's genuine affection. It's not just knowing someone from a distance. It's being engaged in their life. And by the way, this affection was reciprocated. They cared for him. The, the care of the churches for Paul is well known. Now we're talking about the church at Philippi, but it wasn't just the church at Philippi that had this connection that Paul had with them and they had with him. He had a similar connection to the church at Corinth and the church at Ephesus and the church at Thessalonica. If you read any of these epistles... You see that he cared for the people, and that care was reciprocated. There's a, there's a genuine emotional bond there and connection. And I, I, this, is, uh, this is kind of introduction to the message itself, but I think it's an important thing to be reminded of. This is really the kind of heart that, that ought to exist with God's people toward God's servants, the shepherd's heart toward the flock, the flock's heart toward the shepherd. And, and I mention it because it's possible for, for ministry to become a ritual where you're just going through it. You're just singing the song. You're just teaching the lesson. You're just making the visit. You're just shaking the hand. But there's no real connection. There's no real care. There's no real love. There's no real concern. Um, this, just this past week, I've had the opportunity to encourage a couple of pastors who are really discouraged. And at the heart of their struggle is their obvious care for their people. I mean, you can tell they care for They want to help their people. They want to minister to their people. And... And I think if the, and, I, and I, I didn't ask them this, I'm just kind of surmising this, but I think if they really understood how much the pastor cared for them, and if they would express to the pastor how they care for him and appreciate him, it, that in itself would help go a long way toward encouraging these men of God. You know, sometimes people forget that pastors are human. You know, they have... Feelings, they have emotions, they have struggles, and um, it, and I, we don't do what we do for a pat on the back. We do what we do because God's called us to do it. But if they just knew their people appreciated it, New, the whole point of this introduction is that New Testament Christianity is not just about Jesus followers who attend a place of worship. So they can be fed and nurtured without any emotional or spiritual bond. That's not New Testament Christianity. There's something more to it than that. 
And it shouldn't be a place where a preacher just preaches sermons and tells people how to live, but has no personal responsibility or connection with the people. This, this, this kind of mentality is not found in the Bible. What you see in the Bible is close relationships that can and should exist between the people of God, between the saints of God, between the members of the body, between the spiritual leaders and those that they're leading with. And so we see this connection clearly laid out for us in Philippians. So with that in mind, Paul wanted to see them grow and be fruitful. I want to direct your attention to Philippians 1 verse 27, which will be the primary text we'll use tonight. Philippians 1 27. I want to read it again. He says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul wanted to see them grow. Paul wanted to see them be fruitful. He wanted to see them reach their potential. And that's the way it should be. They wanted to live in such a way. Look what it says in verse 27. Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. The word conversation, as most people in here would know, it's not just your words, it's your, your behavior. It's your lifestyle, it's your conduct. It's the way you conduct your life. And the word becometh means let your conversation, let your lifestyle, not just here on Sunday, but Monday and Tuesday, in your home, at school, at work, at the ball game, wherever you are, let your lifestyle be as it becometh the gospel. Becometh means that it's appropriate. It's suitable. Our lifestyle shouldn't just be what we want it to be. It ought to be what is suitable to a child of God. What is, what is in agreement with, appropriate with, worthy of the walk of a child of God. Now some people hear this and say, you know, that's just so demanding. You're expecting so much. It's not even my expectation. It's God's expectation. God never called anybody to be a part-time Christian. He called us all to be full-time Christians. At home, with our friends, wherever we are, that's what God wants. And so our conduct, our deportment, our lifestyle is important. And it's one of the most impactful things that a church has to offer the community. It's not just what we say in here, it's what we live out there. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says it in another way. He said in verse 13, Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. The sentence continues into verse 16, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. This is what Paul ambition was, his objective was, his goal was, his 
focus was for these people. It wasn't just to have them in a building once a week. It was that in their life they would be living the gospel. They would be living the Christian life. Blameless and harmless. The sons of God. You know, sometimes people where we live and work, they just look at us as religious people. They don't know any different. But we're more than just religious people. We're the children of God. We're God's children. We're God's children in the workplace, in schools, in the shopping arena. We're God's children. They ought to, and they want to see that we're living this life. We're different. We're not different because we look down our nose at them and say, well, you don't do this and I do this. No, we're not. That's not what it is. It's, it's being a godly, God-fearing, sincere child of God, wanting to represent God well. Isn't that, isn't that a wonderful calling? Isn't that a wonderful opportunity? That's not, a, that's not a burden. That's not a weight that we carry around. It's a privilege to live the life Everywhere that God has called us to live. Other, otherwise it's hypocrisy. Otherwise it's, otherwise it's just play acting. It's being one thing in one place and another thing in another place when we are to be one thing every place. And that is the children of God. And a blessing it is that God would allow us that privilege. And Paul wanted that. He urged them to live this way. And he urged them to live this way. He said, I want to come see you. It's my heart to come. But whether I come or not, this is the way you should be living. Look again in verse 27. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together. Whether I come and see you or else be absent. By the way, that's not just Paul. That's, that, that's the way we ought to look at our own life. This is the life we want to live. Whether we're here or somewhere else. Whoever, wherever we are or whoever we're with. Paul mentioned this again in verse 12 of chapter 2. Where he says... Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know this, he's not talking about working in order to be saved. He said, work out the salvation that's in you. If you're saved, put it to work in your life. And wherever you are, he says, if I'm there, but not just when I'm there, much more, he says, in my absence. Keep learning, keep growing, keep applying the truth. Now, the reality is Paul loved these people. He cared for these people. And it wasn't just about him. I don't think Paul, Paul was stressed out over the fact that if these people don't make it, you know, I'm... It's going to make me look bad. It wasn't about, you never read where he's talking about his work or his effort or his strategy or his skills. It was about seeing Christ formed in people's lives. And that's what we want to see. That's the goal. That's the objective. That's the, and that is the reward of the ministry. And that brings us 
to verse 27 again, where if you look there, about two-thirds of the way into the verse, he says, that I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He said, I want to hear that you're standing. We'll look up a number of verses over the course of this year having to do with standing. But the word here that's translated in our English Bible is stand, stand fast. It means to remain strong, to persevere, to maintain a position. One of the privileges that I have as a pastor who preaches in other churches occasionally is I get to go back to those churches. And sometimes I've been to churches, you know, maybe a couple of times, maybe four, five, six times. Over the course of years, sometimes over the course of decades. And one of the blessings when I go into a church is I see people that I remember from being there five years ago or ten years ago or twenty years ago. In other words, they're staying, they're staying faithful. They're standing. They're still, still in their place. Some of them still actually sitting in the same pew. They said, they're good Baptists. But... The same is true in our church. I thank God for people that are faithful. People that are still standing. But there's something specific about the standing that Paul's interested in in here. Now we're really zoning in close up. And he says this. He wants them to stand fast in verse 27. In one spirit with one mind striving together. He wants them to be standing together. Standing together. It's, and it's that aspect of standing tonight that I want to close with. That you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together. He's talking to a church. He's talking to a body of Christ. He's talking to a congregation of believers. Visualize if you could tonight. Imagine this, that you're the church at Philippi and he's talking to you. And he says, I want, I want to come and see you, but if I don't come and see you, if I'm not able to come and see you, I want to hear that you're standing together. Not just one person standing. Not just standing alone. But standing together in one spirit, he says, with one mind. In other words, that you would be unified. That's what God wants. That's, what, that's God's will for the members of his churches. Not just standing individual. I'm thankful for people that stand strong on the job, maybe individually. Some young person who stands up when peer pressure is against him and does the right thing, says the right thing, says no to the thing. I'm, I'm thankful for people who stand individually. But here he's talking about standing and striving together, not just as individuals. We're not... We're not in this only as individuals. We're not isolationists. We're members of one another. The two words that are translated as striving together are actually translated from a single word in the Greek language. And it means to labor or wrestle in company with. Striving requires effort. Striving requires involvement. Striving requires energy. Paul wanted to see them working in tandem with each other. And I, I know that we have 
a lot of people who feel the way and strive to be the way that Paul is admonishing the Philippian church. But also know it's possible to come to a church, a sound church, a true church, an assembly where Christ is the head, where the Bible is preached and he is worshipped in an honorable way. It's possible to come to that assembly and feel like you're in it only for yourself, for what I can get out of it, and we all benefit from being here. I've been helped today by being here, but the Bible doesn't look at us as a group of a hundred individuals. He looks at us as a team working together. That's the way God would have us to look at ourselves. And the purpose of the lesson tonight, the purpose of the message, just to emphasize this aspect of standing is standing together. We're partners. We're members of a local body. And the strength of this church, in Paul's mind, depended on the cooperation of the members of that body. We, we are not in it alone. And there are several reasons that we ought to look at that, or several ways we could look at that. Sometimes when people are struggling spiritually, they tend to think that they're alone. Nobody really knows where I am. Nobody really knows how I feel. Nobody really cares. That's a possibility. Or even when we're serving. You know, we could be serving in some aspect of ministry, maybe going to the nursing home, maybe going to the jail, maybe teaching in your class. And you think, you know, it's just me and my ministry and nobody else is really involved or engaged. But, but God doesn't want us to look at it like that. We're on the same team. You know, if you've ever played in a team sport, you know, I played basketball for a while when I was in high school. I played baseball when I was in high school, but my sport that I liked the most was football, and I played that all the way up until the end of my high school years, and, and it's a team sport. Nobody, when you got in that huddle, no two people in that huddle, there's 11 people in that huddle, no two people are going to be doing the same thing when that play is called. Everybody is doing their own thing, except it's not their own thing that they get made up on their own. There's a plan they're following. And so, you know, I could, I could get in the, in the uh, huddle and say, well, I want to be the quarterback this time. That's what you do when you're in grade school. <laughs> That's when you choose up teams on the, on the, you know, out in the field. And I want to be quarterback this time. Well, I never wanted to be quarterback but you wouldn't work it. They'd say, you need to go sit down on the bench for a while. But everybody has their job. And, and if everybody does their job, it really works great. But you could have, you could have a, a good play called at the right time and have ten men who are carrying out their responsibilities, efficiently doing their job, and one person who says who gets distracted and looks up in the stands and waves at the cheerleader or whatever they do and destroy the whole play, right? So this is not football, but it's a team effort. You may be sitting here tonight and thinking, well, I don't, have a, I don't really make any contribution to the church. I, I don't serve in a ministry. I don't really... Well, you could start anywhere. You, know, you could just start by praying for the ministries of the church. That would be a good start. Or encouraging someone or helping in some area of the ministry. And I would challenge you tonight 
to think in your mind, and maybe even take this as a homework assignment, I would challenge you to find anywhere in the New Testament where in the epistles of Christ, or wherever you want to read and study, the epistles of the churches, I should say, but what... Find anywhere where it advocates kind of we're all in that we're all soloing, you know, we're all mavericks, we're all just doing our own thing, we're not really connect. You know what? You can't find it there. And yet a lot of people want to live that way. And they're wanting to live a way that's not biblical. And it's not going to work. Right? Number one, I don't think it works for the individual. Number two, I don't think it benefits the body. And I'm not saying this because I want to see people doing more things. I'm just saying we don't stand alone. We stand together. We're standing, and that's what he asked them to do. That's what he admonished them to do is to have the same spirit, the same mind, standing together. Now, that doesn't mean, and I assure you, I can prove this to you actually in the book of Philippians but that doesn't mean we see every single thing alike. It doesn't mean that. Nor does everybody have the same burden for ministry. You know, I, it's, been, it's been years since I've been to one of the jail services. And I, and I, but I was in them for years. And I would go back if the Lord, I felt like the Lord wanted me to. But I, it's not that I don't care about it. I pray for them all the time, these guys who are going into the jails. But that's not my primary burden. But you know what? It is the burden of someone that's on the team. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad there are people on the team that are burdened to go into the jails and prisons? Aren't you glad there are people on the team who are burdened to go into the nursing homes, who feel that that's a place that I can minister and help people? I'm glad we have people like that on the team. And really, uh, there's no the only limitation on how many areas of ministry that a church can have, the only limitation is how many members are willing to be involved. You know, I'm glad everybody doesn't have the same ministry. You know, I thank God for people that work in the nursery. I'm glad I'm not down there. Amen? They're, they ought to be glad I'm not down there. So we're, t- we're, we're a team serving together. Whether you are in the nursery or whether you work in the, whether you sing in the choir or whether you work in one of the children's churches, serve on one of the cleaning teams, all of us, whatever it might be. You know, when Paul began this epistle here in chapter 1 of Philippians, if you look there, he was expressing his appreciation For this congregation. He said in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. We emphasize this aspect of ministry and partnership. Often when we think about our missionary relationship, our missionary to the churches. Because that's what this is. Paul the Apostle, the missionary church planter, is writing to a church that supports him financially. And he says, I'm always grateful and praying for you and thankful for your fellowship in the gospel. The word fellowship means a co-participant. It means a partnership. 
We're in partnership together, and we're in partnership with the others who are representing us around the world. So I just want to encourage you tonight to realize that we stand together. We ought to love one another. We ought to pray for one another. We serve with one another. We pray together for others. You know, Paul talked about in Romans about those who are praying together for him. We ought to build up one another. We ought to, we ought to believe God together. It's not just one person's faith. I mentioned some prayer requests tonight. That's not just a formality. It's a genuine attempt to get people on board to pray for people who are hurting. We ought to believe God together. Bear one another's burdens. We ought to support God's work together. We ought to stand fast together. We're in a spiritual battle, but we're not alone. We're not fighting alone. We're striving together for the faith of the gospel. God didn't call any of us to be famous. He didn't call any of us to be glamorous, but he called all of us to be faithful and serve together. That's God's plan. So as we think about standing, let's be reminded and encouraged we're not standing alone. We're standing together. And we're standing together for the gospel, for the work of God. Now, to, you know, I don't think there's probably a person in this room that would sincerely object to what I've just said tonight. I don't think there are. I don't think they'd say, well, that's, that's not reasonable. It doesn't have to be reasonable, by the way. It's just biblical. But just because we know it's right does not mean we're going to practice it. It's not mean we're going to have a team attitude. To do that, sometimes we have to get out of our comfort zone. We have to think differently. And that depends on your personality and your, the way you're made up. Some, some people in this room are very outgoing, very gregarious, very friendly. And some people are like me. They're very private. They can be very private. I don't have to try to be private. I am private. I have to, but you know, you say, well, you seem pretty, you seem pretty friendly. I mean, you walk around, talk to people and text people. And yes, because I've taught myself to be that way because that's the way we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be isolationists, right? We're not an island unto ourselves. We're on a team, Imagine me getting in the huddle and just saying, hey, guys, I appreciate y'all being here, but let you know right up front, I'm going to do my thing and y'all can do the rest of your thing. It'd be kind of silly, wouldn't it? Well, it was not just silly in a church. It's, it's kind of productive. We work together. We work as a team. That's God's will. That's God's plan. And I, I, I really think we can agree that God's better at making up the plans than we are. Amen. He knows what works best. And Paul writes to this church, and he loved this church. He had helped get this church started. Most of you know the story in Acts chapter 16, when he began to visit this church, this area, and worked with different people, Lydia, different people. A church was formed. And he loved this church. But he's sitting in a jail cell in a Roman prison, writing the people that he loved. And he could have said any number of things to them, and he said a lot to them. But one thing he said to them was, 
I want to hear that you're standing together. Amen. You know, whether it's in a family, a husband and wife, whether it's in friendships, whether it's in a church, you know, the devil's a master at trying to get us separated, get us thinking differently, think, get us at odds with one another, getting us thinking that nobody cares or we're not a part or we don't belong. But I want to tell you, we, that's why we need to live by the Word of God, not by our feelings, not by the, you know, the, the uh, what comes natural. So tonight, I just want to encourage you to realize tonight that we are, we are here in this community and we're here as a body of believers and we want God to find us standing, standing strong, standing for the word of God, standing against the wiles of the enemy, standing for truth, but not standing alone, standing together. That's God's plan. Amen. And I may be wrong about this, but it just could possibly be tonight. There's somebody sitting here thinking, you know, I, I needed to hear this because in my mind I feel a lot of times like, like I'm not really in the huddle with the team. And sometimes it may be because of some misunderstanding. Some may, may be because of some false perception. You know, the devil, he's, he's crafty at what he does. He's pretty good at it. He's been doing it a long time. He can make us think that, you know, nobody really cares or I'm not important or nobody wants my input. I want to tell you, the devil is a master at what he does. But the truth is God wants us standing together. Amen? For the sake of the gospel. And who's it written to? It's written to a church. It's written to a local congregation. And I ask you this tonight before we have our invitation. Just in case you're here thinking about the fact that you're not really even sure that heaven is where you'll go when you die. You don't really know that. Standing strong won't make you a Christian. Being sincere won't make you a Christian. The only thing that will make you a Christian is putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, God loves you. And we love you. And we want more than anything for you to be saved, to truly be born again. You know, I, obviously, we, we don't know what all went on in the life of Paul, but I know this. He genuinely cared about people. And he wanted people to have a relationship with God. And he wanted people to grow in Christ. And if, and if he would visit this church or any church like this church, he would be saying the same kind of things he said to the church at Philippi. Don't stay where you are. Keep growing. Keep letting God work in your life. Keep working together. And, and most importantly, if you're not saved, if you're not saved, you need the Lord in your life. Amen? You ought to come to Christ tonight.